Let's Talk PR and More. Public relations, media, publicity, integrated communications, marketing, digital, reputation management, and more. Let's Talk PR and More with award-winning PR strategist, Sherry Goldman. I'm Sherry Goldman, president of Goldman Communications Group, and thanks for tuning in to Let's Talk PR and More. Today's guest is Lindsay Schlehetka. Lindsay is founder and CEO of Adjust Media Group, a digital marketing company that handles digital advertising, search engine optimization, social media management, and brand reputation management. Lindsay has a passion for diving into the analytics and making sure a company's and a brand's digital marketing truly generates audience engagement and sales. So today we're going to talk digital marketing. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me, Sherry. Let's get started. Digital marketing, or sometimes called online marketing, is an important but relatively new component of the marketing mix as more and more audiences are engaged online. And today, most PR campaigns incorporate some online component, often paid digital marketing. So I've seen this definition of digital marketing. They say advertising or any content delivered through digital channels, including social media, mobile applications, email, web applications, search engines, websites, or any new digital channel. Let me ask you, let's get started. Is that your definition of it or how do you define digital marketing? I think that definition is pretty spot on. Marketing is in and of itself a blanket term that covers the intersection of brand presence, reach, and lead generation throughout online platforms and spaces. So anything that gets done online is digital marketing? So anything that represents your brand online can be considered a digital presence. The term marketing comes into how the effective leads interact with that presence. When you think about digital marketing and you get started with a company, what's the things that a company or a brand should think about when they say we should do digital marketing? We talk chicken and egg and what's the strategy? Is digital marketing, is that a good place to start with this strategy or should they really have something more comprehensive and then we put some traditional advertising in it, obviously some digital and and public relations? Yeah, that's a really great question, Sherry. I... I tend to run a competitive audit first. Okay, so tell me what that is, or tell us what that is, I should say. Yeah, so I like to look at your brand or service and two or three other brands or services that you feel are doing a good job on their advertising that offer the same thing that you do. So some direct competitors. I like to look at where their website traffic's coming from, what their engagement is on different social media platforms, and I like to kind of take a pulse of what is out there in the marketplace already and what holes or gaps or angles are available for us to fill and what things have been kind of gobbled up by one brand that maybe we need to fight our way to the top of that Google search or make sure that we have ads on Facebook to reach their audience, that sort of thing. Okay. And then is there certain platforms that are better for digital marketing or does it vary because from brand to brand? I mean, is that all part of the strategy, how to determine? I assume, similar to us, that we have to determine who's your target audience, who you try to reach, what do you want them to know? Right. So once you've done a competitive audience, uh, competitive audit, and you look at your target audience, that's where you get into choosing platforms. There's no magic bullet here. There's no one platform 
is better than the other. There's no one tool that's better than the other. Um, we use a variety of tools. And while there are some that I default to most often, they still may not be an exact fit for every campaign. And there may be something else that's a better fit. Um, so, you know, it's just a matter of starting with what do you, what do you have? What do your competitors have? Who are you trying to reach? And where are they? And then once you know where they are, you can start looking at the different platforms and deciding what's better or best for your brand in reaching that audience. Okay. So if, based upon competitors, do you want to be where they are? Do you want to be the sweet spot? I mean, because I assume if you're trying to out and make noise um, versus the competitors on a platform, that requires big bucks. Because well, digital is all about money, being paid, I should say. Mm-hmm. It depends. If your competitor, say you're a wedding venue and your competitor is hosting a wedding event for new brides and they're bringing in vendors from all over and you know that this event is this day at this time, absolutely. Be where your competitors are. If they won't physically let you be there, do you offense the room? Um, And sometimes that happens with keywords too. There are just keywords for some industries that are non-negotiable, like wedding venue. While that is expensive and there's a lot of other ways we can get around that with long tail keywords or whatever, eventually you do want to show up there because that is the fastest, quickest way that people are typing it in or saying it. Don't forget your audio searches. Um, But there are some things that you do want to be where your competitors are. And there are other times that you really are going to say, hey, none of our competitors are talking about quinceaneras. Let's do that. Okay, so you, you mentioned two words that I think are buzzwords in your industry that I'm not sure everyone understands. And one is keywords. What are they? How are they used? Let's start with that. And then we'll move on to geofencing. So let's okay. start with keywords. So a keyword is traditionally it's considered a search term. Okay. What you would open up Google and type in or say. That has changed a little bit over time. Um, but that's the most pure definition of keyword. And you determine them and then buy those keywords? Is that? Um, It depends. You can run SEO, which is search engine optimization, and organically do things on your website to make it rise when that word is typed in. Okay. Or you can buy search engine marketing, pay-per-click ads. And what is that? Again, those are things that you're so used to, but not everybody understands it. They may have heard those terms, but they don't know what it means. So if we could explain it to them, I think it would be really helpful. Absolutely. So that's where while you're working on your website, there's a whole algorithm of things that determine what shows up first when someone types a keyword in. Okay. And that can take a long time to grow on keywords for SEO, where you're doing that organically and you're just fixing your website and Google's recognizing that, hey, this is a good fit whenever someone types in this keyword. A quicker, faster way, and not necessarily better, right? They all have their pluses and right. minuses. But quicker and faster, and I don't know about you, but all my clients want immediate results. Right. So sometimes when we're launching an SEO program, I'd say more often than not, we also launch a search engine marketing program. And that's where all these keywords that are important to you that your competitors are showing up on, and it may take you a while to get into that game, you can purchase them and show up as a sponsored um, Google search results. And those are the ads you see on the side or the top when you when you conduct a search on your browser. Because they paid for those words. It's funny you should say that. I had um, an op- last week I got a call from a potential client that was a law firm 
and I went to Google the name of the law firm to find their website, and they came up sixth. Other firms came up before them, not their names. And when I said something to the lawyer that I was speaking to, they said, well, you know, somebody bought those keywords. There's nothing we could do about it. And I thought, oh, how awful. (laughs) It's actually very common. It's not awful at all. If you know your competitor is doing a good job, Say they have billboards up all over town and you know that they're buzzing and they're having a big sale or whatever, it makes sense for you to try to get in front of their audience. you can buy their name and have yours show up? Absolutely. Wow. You can actually place ads on social media platforms to the followers of their pages anytime you want. That's crazy. So I have to ask a question because I never thought of it. Doesn't intellectual property fall into this at a certain point? Don't you own your name and at least be able to own the right in that sense? Or somebody no. can just, no, no, it doesn't fall into, IP doesn't fall into this? Because you're not taking their name. You're still presenting yourself as you. Right, okay. You're just showing up as an option when that name is typed in. Wow. That's wild. So is the first thing you do for a digital marketing campaign or SEO have to determine every possible keyword that somebody might Google to find you so that you will rise when they search? Um, It depends on the kind of campaign. If we're going to do a search engine optimization campaign or an SEO campaign, um, you you typically pick fewer keywords than you would if you're going to pay for keywords. Um, but yeah, keyword search is always helpful. It's always nice to know what other keywords are out there and what the competitors are using, how frequently they're being used by your competition or by people typing it in. You know, all that information's out there and free. You can pull it on any um, competitor you want on a regular basis, on a quarterly basis. We usually do ours on a quarterly basis just to make sure there's no big changes in the market. Can anyone get um, that information, or we need someone like you who really can dive into the analytics, have access oh, to the so back end? Many, no, there are so many free tools that you can get, at least the first five for each brand you type in. Um, wow. Yeah, there's a ton of free tools that do that. Um, can you give us a name of one or two? Well, SEM Rush is one that is a paid tool, but their free trial version okay. will give you like the top five or ten or something. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of options out there. And I think the critical thing here is you want to position yourself differently than your competitor. But if there is a keyword like funeral home or doggy daycare that like <laughs> a million more people type in than they type in daycare for my dog. Right. It might be worth the cost of trying to rise on that page. Um, now, if you have a low budget and daycare or doggy daycare is a million dollars per click, which is not a real number, um, <laughs> you're gonna, you might say, I might get more for my bang for my buck if I do all these other long tail keywords. And what's a um, long tail so, keyword? Just longer sentences in essence? Yeah, like I a longer to... phrase. Okay. And what we're seeing is a rise in audio searches. If you think about it, the devices in homes, even my phone, I have a Pixel. Um, best phone ever, by the way, um, <laughs> you can search anything vocally and really? it responds to vocal commands all day. So audio searches are up. So when you're considering your keyword strategy, a lot of these keywords that were traditionally held were held on search key terms 
that were manually typed in by somebody. Okay. There is a very nuance to how you search audibly. Is that talking to typing. Siri? Is that talking to yeah. Alexa? Or is that? Absolutely. So, you know, the way you'll, you, instead of saying, I would like Thai food near me, is what you'd probably type in. Right. If you were saying, I'm going to say, hey, Siri, find me Thai food. Ah. That's a different sentence. Right. Same result, different sentence. So it's nice to consider those hidden gems, but I always encourage brands to also identify even a couple of Goliaths, a couple of really full, really hard to break into keywords that they know they just long-term want because it's worth it in the long run. Gotcha. I never even thought of that, Lindsay. That's so interesting. And I think the other word you talked about before was geofencing. So explain what geofencing is, because most people probably have not heard that term, but I guarantee most people have been geofenced and they don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> if you walk into a physical location with your phone on you mm-hmm. or a laptop, right? Right. You are, you are sharing data because of the apps and things that you've chosen to download and authorize. Um, Is that the old location services that you right. should not even shut and off? Everybody beats up Facebook and Google for this. Honestly, I get the best data from the weather apps on the phones because nobody changes the the default weather app. Never on their even phone. thought of that. But it'll tell you um, all sorts of things about the individual. But if you set a geofence to a specific room, say that. Um, Furniture shop across town is running a big sale, and you don't want to run a sale on the same weekend. Right. You can literally draw a circle around their building, around the zip code, around the city, around the neighborhood in the city, however big or small you want. And within 30 feet, any human that comes in and out with a phone on them will now be in your, I like to call it like a bucket. It'll be in your first bucket of people that you can run a variety of different kinds of digital ads to. Now we aren't waiting for them to search for something. We aren't waiting for them to pull up an article. Now we're following them because they entered into a zone of interest. And then what ad would you find them? Is that the ad that when I click on something, all of a sudden, then when I open another site, I hear that that ad pops up? Is that something that just pops on their phone? What does it pop up? I hear Sir Ethan in the background. He doesn't sound too happy. That's okay. No worries. Hope you had surgery this week. So these can be any kind of display ad, text ad. You can do it with OTT or CTV, which are video ads that show up on smart devices. Um, you can do it with pre-roll on YouTube. There's a lot of different ways that you can take that geofence data and serve different kinds of ads. And again, it really depends on your, your users and your exact target audience. Um, you aren't going to want to show ads on TikTok to someone probably over 30, right? Right. So you're going to want to select ads that make sense for the audience. And geofencing is just kind of a way of casting the net. So they don't, have, are, to, it does, they don't have to see it when they're in front of that building, but you've identified who that phone is. And then later on, if they go to YouTube, you can serve them an ad? Or yep. do they have or to Or they go anywhere. They could go look up a chicken noodle soup recipe. Wherever they go, now they're in our bucket. We know who they are. We can... Well, we don't know their names and addresses, but we know their IP address, and we can start serving ads in a variety of different formats. That's just one tactic to identify an audience and serve ads. And, and obviously a target audience who has shown some interest in a 
similar or relative product or service or area or something like that. It's always so scary to me. There's no such thing as privacy anymore, which just drives me crazy. So that was my next thing. Those are the ads that find you everywhere. I know when you and I have spoken about working on some clients together, you're like, we'll serve up these ads and it'll be on their Alexa or it'll be there and everywhere. Is That's how you find them? It's geofencing. That's one of the ways we find them. Um, you can also behaviorally target. Um, you can target by life cycle, like, oh, these people just had a baby or a recent divorce or a recent death in the family. You can target by um, contextual targeting, things they're reading and interacting with online. The search targeting we already covered. You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can filter down and identify the audiences and put them into the bucket. The geofence is just one of those tools. Okay, so the key then is, I, I, I don't even know how you know who people just had a baby. Do you get that from the hospital or you get that because they've been Googling layettes or Googling, you know, nannies? how much <laughs> your parents are looking at keywords. Um, yeah, you got to think, every time you log in, you're leaving a footprint. Okay. You're, you're telling Google a little bit about yourself because you're searching. Right. The blogs and the content that you're reading, you may click to another blog from this blog, and now we know that you're interested in this. You know, um, maybe there's a blog about parenting, but you clicked on a next article about parenting a three-year-old. Okay. Right? So some of that is public information that it has been loaded into da- ad databases. Right. A lot of it is simply information coming that you have willingly given in the apps you've downloaded or in the pages you've participated in or even the hashtags you use on your social media. Wow. I, I didn't personally give all that information, but I realized that you did. Anytime you use an app, you're actually giving them permission in some ways not to share data, but still, I know Facebook just had to give out $725 million for sharing data they weren't supposed to. I know there's no privacy that this just sometimes freaks me out, Lindsay. I've got to tell you. So, so for digital marketing to be effective, as, as I hear what you're saying, I think the key has to be audience targeting. How yep. down in the weeds do you have to get, or should you get, in understanding your audience so that your digital marketing is effective? And I'm assuming then, this is my follow-up question, how do you know it's effective? Is it clicks? Is it clicks to a website? Does it have to be sales? How do you determine that? How are you measuring what's an effective campaign? I'm going to start with the latter and move backwards. Okay. When you have identified who your target audience is, say it's 34-year-old men who watch sports, watch baseball. Okay. Let's pick one sport. You want to say, I want these 34-year-old men to do what? What is the action you want? Do you want them to download something? Do you want them to register for an event? Do you want them to purchase something? Those calls to action need to be identified prior to you setting up a campaign. Okay. What do you want to get in front of this person and why? And once you have that, then you can pick the tools and the means of reaching them that make the most sense. So I might buy ads that only show up on that baseball game to people who live in New York, who like baseball, who are 34 and identify as male, right? Right. And then I may do that with one tool and one tactic, and I may layer that back with um, a wider bucket of all baseball fans and then filter by age, right? So you aren't limited in the number of times you filter the data in the bucket. You aren't limited by, you have a million people in this category of people of interest, how many ways you slice and dice it. I can tell you that it's important that the entire sales funnel is met. 
So they have to, A, know you exist, B, think you're sort of trustworthy, B, overcome any objections of theirs. This is a pricey thing. Is this something that their wife will like? Is this something that he can do on the weekend by himself? Or, you know, what are the objections? What would prevent them from buying or clicking or taking that action that you want them to do? Mm -hmm. And then you pick the tools out that support each phase of the sales funnel. So like you mentioned, those ads can follow you around online. That gets in your mind that, hey, this company exists, but it doesn't really tell you much about why they're different than their competitors because often those display ads are very, very little, right? There's like yeah, and they're advertising. I mean, advertising to me as a public relations person is advertising is a company saying something about itself, but public relations is usually someone else saying something about them and its reputation and it's leveraging the influence of others and and i think that's important so that if they see ads from four companies or four law firms you know it's not based upon how many times they saw that ad but what they know about them and that's where i think public relations is important because it really does the positioning of the authority stuff it may be less less authoritative position if you're selling a widget but that's why i think pr and the positioning and the awareness and reputation is factors in and and is important um from my perspective but absolutely and that people will go especially with a longer sales cycle item something that like a car right they will go and check multiple car websites they're also going to check you know consumer reviews maybe the better business bureau they're going to look around at your social media pages and see if people are happy and talking and interacting nicely with your brand or if you have a million bad reviews all of that comes into play and it all has to play together um what we find is when we meet every phase of the sales funnel from awareness all the way down to the last final objections and comparisons to other brands having a presence at each level of that sales cycle makes a campaign successful so is how many times you filter that bucket is that what determines that is that based upon cost is that based upon budget? Is that based upon time frame? It really, the number of time, number of filters and number of campaigns you put together against an audience really just has to match the sales cycle of the audience. Okay. You do spend more if you were like just purchasing one display ad. You will spend more per ad if you have more filters, right? Because now we aren't running to Everybody in New York is like $6 per thousand for a display ad. But if you're running only to those 34-year-old men who like baseball, who live within Queens, yada, 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 every time you add a filter, it takes it up a little bit. Maybe we might end up at somewhere in 12 to $15 per thousand. But obviously, if it's a more targeted target audience, you should ideally get better results from it because right. you're not, you're, you're reaching those people who are apt to to buy, purchase your product, to want what your service is. Absolutely. And then it's just a matter of how many clients do you need per lead and how do you convert those leads into clients and figuring out what that magic number needs to be, what makes sense. Obviously, that's the part the client needs to do, right, to convert those leads into sales. Is there a particular time frame? Should people think, like, does a digital campaign have to be a month, three months, six months? And what's what makes sense? A lot of the brands we work with will have ongoing maintenance programs, and that is a brand presence program. And included in that is their physical sales team, their signs on the stores, you know, if you have a physical store, as well as your social media presence and maybe even some retargeting from their website. 
that's when people come to your website and don't do the thing you want them to do, and we push display ads or OTT back to them. Um, so a lot of brands will have a maintenance program where there's a baseline minimum activity, minimum physical and digital footprint in a market. Okay. Then we layer in the campaigns, and campaigns can vary. So they're it's about a-, a certain date and time kind of thing or a certain idea within this brand awareness. Right. Or a new product launch okay. or an event. Those are things that would cause a campaign. Um, the other way, if you're just trying to increase general awareness over time, a lot of times we will run it what we call a six-week pop. So we'll run a couple extra ads for six weeks. Maybe we'll do some podcast ads. Maybe we'll do a little bit heavier on TV, OTT or CTV, right? So we've, we've got a heightened presence for six weeks, and we might go down back to a maintenance presence for a couple weeks before rolling up into another campaign. And what that does is allowing people to see and get exposed to your brand and creating a larger, wider audience and not forcing you to stay at a high level of marketing budget all the time. Gotcha. During the course of a campaign, do you have to change ads? You keep using ads, um, so it's mostly ads. Do you change ads? Is it the same thing? Is it? So, for instance, one of our clients is a big bank, and we will have four or five different kinds of checking ads based on the user we're targeting. Mm -hmm. If it's a student in college, they're going to see this checking ad with a young student in it. If it's someone who's retiring, they're going to see a checking ad with an older individual in it. People respond when they feel like the advertising is customized to them. Absolutely. No question. You want to see yourself in the ad. There's no question. You want to see yourself in the ad. You want to see yourself in any message. You want to feel like they're talking to you. Right. So once the initial ads are done and they've come to our website and they've not taken action, the way we target them afterwards is different, maybe with a different set of ads. Um, Okay. And that way they're getting a secondary message that might overcome whatever the objection was or the reason they didn't stick in the first place. We also usually start off most campaigns with two, if not three, different campaign creative ideas, especially on the digital side. What that does is it allows us to A-B test different graphics, different messages, and see which one's going to resonate the most. And then often we'll roll out the traditional media campaign after we've tested the digital creative. And when you say traditional media, it's traditional advertising, print, broadcast ads, billboards, that kind of thing. Yep. In a perfect world, should they all be together? Everything should be in support of each other. Sounds good. Listen, before we go, because I know we're running almost out of time, what advice do you have for people wanting to either get involved, either work in the field, or obviously, or either use digital marketing for their own businesses? What kind of couple pieces of advice do you have? What should they know to get started or think about it? And obviously call you, but that's a whole different ballgame. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. But um, I think if you're trying to get into this, to the digital marketing realm right now, it is important to really have a foundation in analytics and understand the various dashboards and tools that you plan to be working with. Most of these tools have some sort of certification. And I'm a little hard on the certifications because I truly feel like any idiot with a computer could pass 90% of them. (laughs) But it's important (laughs) that you take the time to at least go through the certification process learn the information that the tool has available, learn how to leverage that information, how to use it, how to read it, how to express it to another human because your clients are going to want to know how to use it and read it. Right. So I think that's the biggest thing. There's a lot of people out there right now who will set a digital marketing campaign up and be like, we're running this to everybody who has a dog. And it might be something that really only applies to 
dogs of a certain size or people who are allergic to dogs. So it's important to understand the tools you're using because you can easily set up a marketing campaign and not have it set properly and get terrible results versus having a very specific target and having it identified in your mind how it's going to be targeted, you could get some pretty good results that support your other campaigns as well. Well, that's great advice to end this at. Lindsay, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I so appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sherry. You're welcome. Thank you. That's Lindsay Slaheka of Adjusts Media Group, and I'm Sherry Goldman, and that's Let's Talk PR and More for today. You can find more information about the show and about me at Goldman Communications Group's website, www.goldmanpr.net. Thank you all again for listening today. I look forward to talking PR and more with you all again next time.